Today, the topic is Understanding Biblical Discipleship Understanding Biblical Discipleship The topic actually changed. The original topic was Lesson in Biblical Discipleship. But that would be too vast. So, Understanding Biblical Discipleship. We will have about two or three readings, mainly in John chapter 8. The word discipleship, excuse my voice, I'm trying to control my voice. <clears throat> The word discipleship is one that is very difficult to define, yet it is used in the body of Christ to mean making and training new converts, neophytes, neophyte in French, neophytes. So it is generally used in churches to mean making and training new converts how to follow Jesus Christ. That's the general understanding of the concept of discipleship. That understanding, that definition, seems to emphasize on the newness of the converts. So the emphasis in that, according to that definition, is a focus on new converts. Hence, leaving the impression that all the believers no longer need training in discipleship. Discipleship is often and wrongly opposed or contrasted with the expression mature believers. So there is that bipolarization. On one hand, new converts needing discipleship, and on the end of that spectrum, mature believers needing nothing. I'm sure you can begin to see the problem already with our kind of mentality and definition which we impose on the Bible. Just with that paragraph I can see in some eyes. New convert need, needing care, all attention, mature believer knowing everything, needing nothing. Therefore, discipleship is applied on this group here. This one have attained, they finished. There's nothing to learn. That's what we have accepted in churches as discipleship. And I've seen people leaving churches and complaining because there's no discipleship. I know personally a couple that have changed about six churches because in every church they went there was no discipleship. 
Well, in that sense, discipleship becomes attention seeking. Now, there is a sort of tacit agreement, implicit agreement, that discipleship is defined according to the newness of new converts. But uh, this seems to contrast with something I found in the Bible. I found an expression, old disciple, old disciple. In Acts 21, verse 16, Acts 21, verse 16, they went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one mason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge old disciple. Yes, it's true that some versions have early disciple. Some versions have first disciple, early disciple. But it's not the idea of changing status from being a disciple to something else. No. It's only meant that they have become believers early than others. That's all it means. But they're still believers, they're still disciples. All disciples. Direct contrast with the newness of converts definition. Now, let's look at our we'll come back to that. In John 8.31 we read this. In John 8.31 we read this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. In my Bible indeed is highlighted. Indeed. This is one of the clearest scripture on the issue of discipleship, with the key feature being not our length of time in the ministry, not our bi biological age, not the soundness and volume of our biblical knowledge, not our position in the church, but abiding in his word, full stop. That's the clearest definition of discipleship. <clears throat> Abide in his word. Anything else is human fabrication. It doesn't matter if I've been praised the Lord, if one has been a believer for I don't know how many decades, etc. Praise the Lord for steadfastness and uh, for being a good example to uh, younger believers, generation, but that doesn't give any 
comparative advantage. Because as far as the Bible is concerned, the greatest among you will be your servant. Is reverse order compared to this world. The more we humble ourselves, the more Christ is exalted, the more we are not leaders, servants. That's the biblical understanding of growth in discipleship. By that definition, there will never be a point in life where one does not need discipleship. Fake definition, unfortunately. But it's everywhere. Everybody's complaining, discipleship, disciple, people leaving the church, moving, needing attention, etc., etc. Fake definition. Biblical understanding of discipleship. Let me repeat that sentence I wrote down. This is the this is one of the clearest scriptures on the issue of discipleship with the key feature being not our length of time in the ministry not our biological age not the soundness and volume of our biblical knowledge not our position in the church but abiding in the word of God Question. By this standard and definition of true discipleship, who amongst us doesn't need to be discipled? By this definition. Anyone? Think I know everything? I'm there? I don't need? Even the Apostle Paul said, I'm still running. I haven't finished. I'm still running, Paul. So if Paul says he's still running, we should be flying. I'll suggest that we should move from the simplistic definition of what discipleship is to a more biblical understanding of the reality of discipleship. That is, to move from a vague and uh, superficial <clears throat> definition to a deeper reality of discipleship that is to be the Lord's disciple indeed. In French it says, <coughs> Vous serez réellement médecin. You will be actually, in reality, my disciple, if you abide in my word. You will réellement my disciple. There is an emphasis on réellement, in reality, if we abide in his words. Okay. Turn to the Bible. Chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 30. To 36. That's John. John chapter 8, verse 30 to 36.
as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, believed him, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. 36. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Notice indeed. In reality. You shall be truly free. Not you shall be free. You shall be free indeed. You see, many people think they are free. They are not. Have you noticed the context here? What's happening? The context here. Jesus spoke these words and many believed him. And straight after, questions. Oh, we've never been in bondage to anyone. We are Abraham's descendants. Oh, I thought these people have just believed. And then you have this conversation. I call this deep and delicate surgery. I call this where well, we just have a baby who has been born. So the first person was uh, uh, for the first care, the midwife, etc. I remember when our second, second or third, second child was born. I was in the room and. Uh, the midwife uh, start making the first cares, etc. And I say to her, do you believe in God? She said to me, well, I believe God is in anything. I believe in anything. I say, okay, in that case, give me the baby. I'm going to pray for the baby before you do your care first. Guys, hospital. And I took the baby myself and committed to the Lord. And then give the baby. And then she could do what she could do there. And I was standing by side very discerningly, standing there and praying in my heart. Now, the point is, I observed the work she was doing. She seemed to be focusing on the senses. Clearing the ear, you know, the nose, the eyes, and things. Because those are very, very important points for a new child. So Jesus Christ was doing just that with these people who had just believed in him. You know, he put a subject there. He knew how they were going to react. Oh, we are Abraham descended. We've never been in bondage to anyone. They all know that. For four centuries, they had been in bondage in Egypt. We know that. And the prophecy for their deliverance was given to Abraham. 
We know that. They challenge the Lord and they say, how can you say we will be free? We've never been in bondage to anyone. Mm. Good. Interesting. Hence the Lord emphasizing on you shall be free indeed. You think you are free, but you're not. And the Lord challenged them. He said, okay, I'm coming with the word of God to you. You seek to kill me. Abraham wasn't like that. You say you descend from Abraham? Abraham wasn't like that. And now, you're doing the will of your father. If you're fighting the word of God, Jesus tells them, then you cannot be Abraham descendant. No. You descendant and children of the one who seek to corrupt the word of God. The the serpent of old. John 8, 44, I think. Your father is not Abraham. He's the devil. The Lord tells you, because your behavior doesn't show that you descend from Abraham. Oh, Abraham himself rejoiced to see my day. Wow, that's really, really challenging. I call that first care. Detox, clearing spiritual understanding, biblical discipleship. There is a work to be done for people who come to believe. To, you don't come to believe in Christ, and now got to sit down first. First, care need to be given, given thoroughly, properly, before start working. Unfortunately. Things have gone the other way. Everyone does everything. Where are the first care? Where is the first care? Where is the work to be done? Where is that correction for correct understanding? And then people are claiming with that, uh, in French we say les tards. That's lucky, les tards, les insuffisances. Insufficiency, and we go with that, we go with that, and we, we become deacons and pastors and archbishops, etc., without the first care. And we're passing on error, 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 and we write books. And we become famous, and everybody acclaims that because we are famous. Problems. Understanding biblical discipleship. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, has intrinsic or inner built-in capacity and power to set us free from deception from traditions of men, from world religion that provide false hope to billions, billions. Religion will send more people to hell than atheism itself because of the false hope it offers people. 
The word of God can free us from philosophy and from arguments that try to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Can you see? The word of God is in competition, real competition. In the book of Acts, you can see on display in action the Epicureans and the Stoicists. You can see. And Paul was debating with them. But Paul did not lose sight. He focused on Christ's resurrection because that's the good news. He focused on Christ's resurrection because he did, he did not distract himself from the main key feature of the gospel that is Christ's death and resurrection. At the end, in Acts 17, some of those philosophers despised him, but many of them believed because he did not lose sight. Resurrection of Christ. If we delight in a bookish knowledge which people call apologetics, empty discussion, Paul told Timothy, flee from that. That youthful, last winning argument, that's not uh, apologetics at all. And by the way, apologetics does not mean we apologize for what we believe in. It's just uh, defending what we believe. But the Bible says we should do that with uh, meekness and trembling in our hearts. It's not a winning exercise. Paul told Timothy, flee from that as a young person. A weekly discussion full. Foolish discussion and arguments, which only complicate things. Flee from that. Keep focus on Christ. The word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. Notice, as I said before, not just any disciple, but the Lord's disciple. I need to be careful. We're talking about Christ's discipleship. You will be my disciple. Christ's discipleship. The problem is not just being a disciple, it's being Christ's disciple. Because you can easily become your pastor's disciple. You can easily become your favorite YouTuber's disciple. We're talking about being Christ's disciple. Plato had disciple. Socrates, Zeno, all those big philosophers, Gandhi, all of them, they had disciple. The problem is not just discipleship, it's Christ's discipleship. I've heard a lot that uh, there was some link between discipline, I myself thought so, discipline and disciple because of the beginning of the world. 
But as I researched the topic, I found that there was very little connection between the two, but there was a connection nevertheless. Discipline is mostly the idea of being bound to something, being a slave of something. That's discipline. If someone is very disciplined in his sport and fitness activity, he's bound to that activity. He's disciplined himself, he's bound to do that. If someone is disciplined in his Bible reading, he's like a slave to it, he's bound to it. So to that, in that sense, there is a bit of a, a connection between the word disciple and the word uh, discipline. No wonder the Lord is talking about being free indeed. There is an idea of moving from this bond to this one, to be his bond servant. <coughs> now, the distinctive trait of Christ's disciples is that they hear and love his words and abide in it, just like a newborn baby who cannot live without milk. A true disciple loves the Word of God because he knows he cannot live with how are we going to grow? Where is the food for our growth? If we replace the Word of God with any ideas, then we are lost. There is no growth. There can be growth, but not what the Bible calls godly edification. There is something in the Bible called godly edification. Not just edification, like a wise master builder, carefully building on the foundation. That's a godly edification. The church has the responsibility to make sure that these things happen. But it takes courage, steadfastness for a church to stand by these things. There are so many good ideas. In my previous church we used to do this. In my previous church, sometimes those things are not even tested. They're not even biblically supported. But just because we've been doing that, let's just do it. Let's just follow the motion. We will rather be late for God to be right in his own time than implement things because we want to implement things and do the wrong thing in the wrong sight. A good brother about 20 years ago reminded me of a, a biblical narrative when the disciples were running to the tomb after Christ's resurrection. It's 
says that the one who ran first got there and stood outside the tomb. And the older who was coming slowly got there, got inside, and did what he needed to do. <coughs> Running the race at the Lord's pace is important. Reaching the aim is important. Yes, we are called to run, but to run with endurance at the Lord's pace. Let do this, this is not, let do this not. Slowly, God is patient. And He wants us to be patient. We are not more concerned about the truth than God Himself. He sent His Son to die. Are we more concerned than God Himself about the lost? Now, Christian discipleship is supposed to be biblically based and built on what I call the four pillars of true discipleship. We have some summary there on that sheet about discipleship. Discipleship. The four pillars of true discipleship, as stated in Act 2.42, that is, Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Prayer, and Breaking of Bread. These are the key features of discipleship. In this sense, if you take a baby, the baby has meat and the baby will make you understand. It can talk, but they will make you understand their needs. And you, you can't be mistaken about the need of the baby. If they want the nappy to be changed, you will know that they want the nappy to be changed. If they want milk, you will know that they want milk. And if they want to sleep, you will know that they want to sleep. They have needs that cannot be mistaken. You can't give them something else when they express a specific need. You try. These things in Act 2.42 are the classic needs of a true disciple. Classic needs. Teaching, Fellowship with the brethren, praying together, breaking of bread. Can't live without that as a believer. Biblical discipleship. Do you know why? Because the seeds of Christ has been planted. We've been born by the incorruptible word of God that abides in us. And that seed will grow. How does it grow? It grows through this mechanism. Simple. 
the Bible says, those who gladly received the word of God, gladly received the word of God, were together. They were together. They prayed, they edified one another, they shared things with one another as a true mark, trait, feature of the newness of life in Christ. I spend a lot of time watching animal programs. The family know that if I keep quiet for 25 minutes, they will find me watching animal programs. In particular, lions. And I've learned a lot about lions. A lot about how the lion operates. Lions focus on the weakest in the group. They can spot from afar the weakest from the group. Just by the way they walk. The movement, they can spot that. That's the our focus. Lion can focus on the one staying behind. When the group sees the danger and they run for their life, the one that cannot run or is distracted with eating and doing their own thing, they will focus on that. But lion can also focus on the strongest. If the strongest depart from the group, the lion will focus on that one, but they will come in great numbers. A bull can have ten lions biting everywhere until they bring it to its knees. That means it doesn't matter whether we feel we are strong, mature, what the devil can still strike. But his preference, it will take him a lot to strike on believers who are obedient to Christ. It will take a lot to the devil to bring that one on their knees. Therefore, it's easy for him and his troops to focus on the weakest, on those who are staying behind. The fourth tactic of the lion is to isolate one from the group. Once they isolate one separate from the group, they can strike. They can organize themselves, it will take a day, it doesn't matter. They just know that they won't be any help. But from time to time, the group can come back and threaten them. From time to time, it happens. Those are the tactics the enemy uses. Being together as a body, there is strength in being together. Do you remember what we share? In the Bible prayer there. In Exodus 17, remember the story when Joshua was fighting Amalek in the plain. Moses went on a hill 
with Aaron and her. Her, yeah. Chrissy told me how to pronounce that. Her. H-U-R. Her. Okay. They went on the hill. And they were looking at Joshua fighting. Oh, let's not forget one detail. Moses commanded Joshua to choose amongst the congregation able people. Able people. Well, one might say, oh, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit. This speaks about ability. It means God is not working. He's all God. Yes. Paul told Timothy, what you've learned from me, pass on to able. Faithful people who are able to pass on to others as well. God, things are not to be thrown away. Now, you teach and then you look in the church, you look, the people who are really, it doesn't matter which age they are in the Lord. You just look at their love for Christ. And you input and you input and you input because you know that the next generation is going to take the battle in the relay race. You want to make sure that you passing on what you've received in those people who love God who will also pass on to others. Not to people who don't discern anything. Everything is just the same. Everything is just nothing. No! You want to see people who really understand, discern things. Paul told Timothy, what you receive from me, pass on to men who are able to pass on to others. Immerse yourself in, in them. Pour yourself in them. Everything you've received from me, put in them. Because of the feathers of the Christian faith. This is no time to play. Moses told Timothy, Moses told Joshua, choose amongst that able people and go with them. And as you go with them to fight against Amalek, I and her and Josh and, and Aaron, we will go on the hill and pray. What happened when they went on the hill? Moses lifted up his hand, Exodus 17. Moses prayed. At some point, Moses was what? Weary? Tired? The Bible speaks of heaviness. His hand. I'm talking about the mighty Moses. His hand became weary, heavy. The Bible says. He couldn't do this. The Bible says. Whenever his hand went down like this. Joshua was losing the battle. So. Moses had to continue praying to God. Like that. And it took a day. He got so tired. And then. Her. And Aaron. Who were with him had the God-inspired good ideas. They put stones behind him, sat on the stone, they could hold his hands, so that his hand would remain like this to the end of the day. Friends, we need help, not criticism. We need support, not stabbing on the back of people. 
It's God's work. It's not our work. We need to work for God, not against God. The mighty Moses got weary and tired. What about us? We need those people who will hold hands of one another in prayer. Not just criticism. 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 No, no. We need a heart for God, for His church. Not just for the leaders, no, for one another. We need to hold each other's hand in prayer and support each other. You all fight in the good fight of faith, don't you? You all attack and assault by the devil. So if you come in the church and we add another burden on your misery, what profit is it? We need to hold one another's hands, a mark of true discipleship, and support one another, and not work against God. Do you remember in uh, Hebrews 12? Strengthen hands that hang down. Strengthen. I searched the Bible, I couldn't see any other way. You could strengthen your hands if they are down and tired. Apart from the story of Moses, it needed external help from other believers to help, to lift again your hands. It's important that we support one another. That is discipleship. How do we do that? Yes, we do that individually, but we also do that collectively as a group. You know, sometimes I come from work and I finish work at 6.30, whatever. I'm so tired. Just like you, Brother Joseph and uh, Yolanda, they come from very far after work. And we pray for their journey when they go back, it's very far. And they come, husband and wife, and they come and they pray. And we benefit from their prayer. And we are strengthened. And all my tiredness is gone. Because I hear other people praying. And I feel like praying as well. And I'm strengthened and I'm edified. My hand lifted up again. And I move. You will not survive if you isolate yourself. Criticism won't lead you anywhere. Well, I've just quoted Joseph. Joseph knows that he's not an angel. And certainly not me. But in Christ when we come. And we've discovered when we pray together, all the bad things are just removed. Because when we pray, we humble before Christ. We ask for forgiveness. We sing, purify my heart. We say, Lord, fill us with your spirit of forgiveness. And we humble before God. There's no way we can continue kicking one another. If that comes, appointment next Tuesday, we come again and we fight against it. Again, together. And that's why when we finish praying, we hug each other and still bring bread. We even have bread. And we share that. True bread. And we hug one another and we go back tired after a day of work and worshiping God. And we say, Lord, may your praise sanctify our rest. Tomorrow we will start again. Discipleship. All I was in Paris, 
referred your absence in the prayer meeting. We know each disciple. It's not easy. We all work. We all tired. Some of us have big families and health issues. Some of us are advanced in age. But we do steadfastly. We persevere. And we persevere. And we persevere. Until our days are over. And we go to meet the blessed Savior. We can rest. He's our Sabbath. There is no time for church politics slowing down. It's a waste of time and space. There is time for truthfulness, genuineness of faith, the Bible speaks about. The genuineness of faith. None of us is perfect. As Christ forgave you, forgive others. The Bible speaks of forbearance. Is the expression of one another. So all the elements I'm giving you here are marks of true discipleship. You can begin to see the falsehood of the first definition I gave you about discipleship. That oh no, it's just for new people. Let everybody focus on new people. That's fake. That resource draining. Now, you start as a baby, you expect to grow. What if your child is not growing? I remember one day one of our child uh, making a lot of noise and I was doing something really important needing my focus and I called and said come here what's that noise and he said to me with heaven as his witness but I'm playing you see at that age his focus, his understanding of life is playing, and I was disarmed. There was nothing I could say. That's what children are meant to do. He was playing. And then I said, okay, make less noise or close the door. But if, they, if he gets 18 and he does the same, I will be worried. If he comes at 18 and I say, you're making too much, he said, I'm playing. We should not do that. We need to grow as believers. We need to grow. We need to grow in terms of beginning to help others. Each other's needs to prefer. We get to a point where we don't just pray just for us. We begin to pray for others. In fact, we pray more for other people in the knowledge that God will water those who water others. It's an understanding. Okay. The word disciple is found once in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 8, verse 16. In relation to testimony and the law. So that Isaiah 8, verse 16. You see, again, even in the Old Testament itself, the word discipleship, disciple, is put beside testimony and the law. Why testimony and the law? Because testimony 
which is another word for the word of God, speaks of the established truth of God. Jesus Christ, speaking to Pontius Pilate, said, I have come to bear witness to the truth, to testify of the truth. The law, Torah, the law, speaks of the word of God as a as precepts, as principle of life, something we translate in our practical daily life. So, number one, the word of God as a testimony. We receive the word of God. We accept. We are born again. Okay. That's the first step. And then the word of God becomes our law, just like the law of the land which regulates life in the society, the word of God becomes our law. So we look at everything from that world view, from the word of God. So we analyze, understand, live everything from that world view or point of view. A point of view is what? A point of view is just what it says. is a place from which you look something. So if you're a Christian, Everything and everywhere you look, you should do so from the perspective of the Bible, Amen. not from the BBC propaganda. Amen. Unfortunately, sometimes you speak with believers, the main source reference is the BBC. There's no analysis, there's no discernment from the Bible, it's all about BBC say, Fox News say. Radio France International say, and this and that. What does God say? The word Christian is very popular. The word Christian is very popular. But it's only mentioned three times in the Bible. Three times. Not in the Old Testament, only in the New Testament. Against 256 times for the word disciples. 256 times for the word disciple. I conclude that the word disciple seems more important. We don't know what a Christian means. A Jehovah Witness? A Mormon? A Seventh-day Adventist? A Catholic? What? I even heard something called Jesus Mohammedan Discipleship. Because the Muslim scholars, they found the biblical discipleship so nice. You know, they've written something copy from the biblical discipleship and they came up with a story and said, oh, just like the disciple of Jesus, Muhammad had his own as well. I don't know the number. But copied from the so it's called the Mohammedan, Jesus Mohammedan discipleship. That's the reason I'm telling you that this thing about discipleship can go everywhere. But the way he created in the church is absolutely in disguise and can cause conflagration and shocks 
in crisis, there is lack of discipleship. How do we disciple? Do we have enough people here to disciple everyone, to customize, to have a customized program of discipleship for everybody, including the baby who has been born? Can we do that? Is that sustainable? When we come together like this, it's easy. We all drink the same, we edify one another, and then there is room for one-to-one to move forward. It's not a burden, it's a duty. But we need to know how to do that. Disciples are not a category of new converts with special needs. All believers in Jesus Christ are his disciples, desiring to obey and follow him and to abide in his word. <coughs> the word used in Isaiah 8.16 for disciple is the Hebrew word lim mut, which means instructed, learned, taught, diligent, and skillfully. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word matetuo, which means instruct, teach. You see? Can you see the trap? The word disciple, the definition, etymologically, is instruct, teach. Diligently, skillfully, carefully, ably. So a true disciple of Jesus Christ, hence he's the master's definition. If you abide in my word, you are my disciple. Because disciple means one who is taught skillfully, accurately, and diligently. Generally speaking, a disciple is someone who accepts and assists in the spreading of someone else's doctrine, etc. That's a general definition. Okay. Praise the Lord for that. Next time, God willing, we'll find another diversion and come back to continue this topic as the Lord leads. That's the danger of diverting from one topic to another. There are so many definitions now. There's something called family and wealth discipleship. Hmm. Family and wealth discipleship. You're not a disciple if you not leave all your possession and cut all the ties with your family. Leave all your possession. I wonder to whom you leave them. Probably to the pastor, maybe. <laughs> The true disciple? <laughs> there is something called discipleship movement. They promote a mentorship, mentor style discipleship. Mentor style discipleship. Well, I've heard many Christians supporting that. Many Christians, there's nothing wrong with that to some extent. Oh, that's my mentor. The bad news for you, if you hold that view, is this. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as Christian mentorship. It doesn't exist. What? Well, in the Bible, in the New Testament, 
Timothy's spiritual father. Spiritual father is different from just a mentor. Have you ever done a volunteering mentorship? Go and try. A mentor will give you one hour to help you in some area. It doesn't matter if it's a thief, if it's a murder, that's not your problem. Just take the need to they give you. But Paul said, be my imitator as I imitate Christ. That's not mentorship, that is spiritual father. We need spiritual fathers, not mentors. Who say one thing and do something else. We need the do and the be. That's the biblical notion of a spiritual father. Then there is radical, radical discipleship, etc. So true discipleship means we need to take Jesus at his word. All the believers need to be able to give the other cheek when they are slapped on one, one cheek. Otherwise, it's not discipleship. Lots of stuff going on in discipleship. But the mental style discipleship has a risk. Do you know the risk? <coughs> The new convert is cleverly made dependent on the one who calls himself mentor and begin to exploit. It starts with obedience, but there is an exploitation of the new convert who think they cannot free themselves. Anything the mentor is saying is what God has said. That's another form of bondage. But also, there is a controlling spirit that can come with that. You know, I'm discipling you, but actually, you tell me everything about your life, and I can control your life. <clears throat> quite a lot of that going on in churches now, and people call that discipleship. And people quite enjoy that. And if you want to disciple me, I don't have to tell you everything about my life. You teach me the Bible. Why should I tell you everything about my life? Teach me how to speak to God. Lack of discretion come with it. Betrayal. Few later after, the mentee is disappointed now because it's secret now. He hears it from France. Someone has proposed or said it there, etc. Et Let's close in prayer. Mm -hmm.